Hello and thanks for tuning in. This is the radio ministry of Grace Community Church in Jefferson City, Missouri. Please open up your Bibles and join us. Here's Pastor Dennis Helton. We, uh, why don't we go ahead and start Father, we praise you for who you are. You are certainly a great God. Thank you for loving us so that we can love you. And uh, It's only by your Spirit that uh, we can do that. And uh, we certainly want to praise you, want to glorify you. and Thank you for this time that we have tonight to be able to get into uh, your Word and teachings about what uh, biblical repentance is, and that, that definitely is a mark of a Christian, and uh, that we would uh, be able to relate that to our lives even more so, and so we pray for your spirit to guide us into your truth, in your son's name, amen. amen. So we're, we're moving into chapter 15, and uh, this is dealing with repentance, this title here is called Repentance Unto Life. That's, that's, yeah, I thought I heard something too. Okay, I thought, I thought it might have been a train or something that was coming down the street. A train? Yeah, it, it had a whistle or something. I, don't, I didn't. There's always something exciting. I don't know if you guys heard the uh, the gunshots yesterday. Sure enough, it was at Capital Region. Yeah, as soon as we had come out of the funeral, and Barb had two cars that almost ran into her. Three. And they were the ones that were causing all the commotion. I don't think they ever caught those guys. I was standing there thinking, well, someone's building something. It sounds like a hammer and nails. Here I am, just driving away, and then these cars go and run four people off the road, and Whoa. like sixty. And then I realized, oh, that wasn't a hammer and nails. Wow. Yeah, that's when you realize that had to be gunshots. Yeah. And somebody else had heard that too. It sounded like metal, and that's a, that's what it was. It was uh, there was bullets hitting a car. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. Well, I, I just thought it sounded like someone hammering, but then it sounded kind of uncharacteristically loud, uncharacteristically loud. So it's just up the street. It was at Capital and, Region. And they didn't catch up with them. They didn't ever caught them. And we so saw the cop cars coming. More about, you might have seen the actual vehicle. I called them and talked oh, to yeah, them, okay. and they weren't very forthcoming. I said, you probably already have the information that I'm going to give you, but I don't have any license plate numbers or anything, but there were three cars, an orange one, a white one, and an SUV. That's all they know. When something like that happens, you're not expecting anything, you know, no. and all of a sudden it's like, wow, what just happened? No. So, yeah, we, we saw it on the news, and we're going, yeah, that was, that was quite I an event. Wait for the news. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> if I Okay, well, let's, uh, let's hit this chapter 15. I only have one chapter tonight. Sometimes I try to get in three, four, or five of them, don't I? But, uh, just one chapter. But it does have six sections, so uh, it is rather lengthy. Uh, the first one is repentance unto life is an evangelical grace. The doctrine whereof is to be preached by every minister of the gospel as well as that of faith in Christ. So repentance and faith is to be preached it's an evangelical grace. Those are some of the key terms. 
Um, that's what's in the, the very first section. And so we see also on this title we have repentance unto life because it is connected and it's inseparable really with the enjoyment of eternal life. So re repentance and enjoying eternal life go together. And that would distinguish it from just having a sorrow of the world, just being sorry for our sins. And so that would um, uh, definitely separate that kind of thought. It's, it's styled a grace here, uh, even evangelical grace. It's, it's a grace, and that means gift, doesn't it? It's a free gift of God. Repentance uh, comes from Him, and it's wrought in our hearts by the very operation of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, it all comes from God, just like everything else does. Uh, go to Acts 11, 18, and there it uh, is pinpointed. Whenever Paul is actually defending God's grace and also recognizing that um, the gospel is going to go to the Gentiles too. It says in verse 18, When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. Repentance unto life. It's, it's the repentance that is granted that is uh, a grace, an evangelical grace. Uh, evangelical, uh, the reason they would put that there, that distinguishes from a legal repentance. There is a, a legal repent, a repentance in that um, we have a dread of God's wrath, right? That would be a, a legal repentance in, in that way. And so they're trying to distinguish there um, when you have uh, the grace from God and, and you have His faith, then we recognize His mercy. And it's not so much having a dread of God's wrath, but desiring to um, see that our sin is, is confessed. Um, so a, a sinner is going to see that his, his sins are to be punished. And uh, he has a dread of God's wrath. Uh, sin has exposed him. But on the other sense, um, rather than that legal repentance is the evangelical grace and realizing that uh, we've, we've offended God and we've, we've dishonored Him um, and at the same time we're depending on uh, our love that He's given to us that we would not desire to do that. Uh, Cain and uh, Judas, for instance, Judas was sorry for what he had did, but it was really a, because of the consequences that would come. It was not a matter of, of grace there. Uh, but when a true Christian, when a true penitent mourns, uh, it's called a godly sorrow. Uh, go to uh, 2 Corinthians 7. And there we go again. That's 2 Corinthians. Just keeps popping up a lot, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Um, what do you think? Uh, <laughs> legal, but the problem is that God did say, like, "Hey, have you seen how he repented?" What uh, and and where is that passage? Uh, it's in it's in Second Kings, uh, right, right where. 
story of Jezebel's death is recorded at the end. Yeah, I, I think uh, there, of course, we know the character of Ahab. Ahab would be a, an unbeliever, right? But there's even a sense where unbelievers repent. Uh, here it's a, a humbling of himself. Even before God, I mean, he believed in God. Of course, he believed in idolatry, too. But um, God refrains from bringing on punishment at that time, at least showing that when one humbles himself in some kind of way, God can honor that in a, in a sense. And here he does. He didn't bring the evil on the house at that particular time. I'll bring it in his son's day. So God is still going to bring the judgment, but because there was some kind of a humbling, uh, it still wasn't of the ultimate godly sorrow, because he can, he doesn't. And that's what you're saying, right? Yeah. And that is kind of tricky because God refrained from doing that. Yeah. Uh, him being a king, he was God put him in into that position. But yet here is a man who's really not a godly man. He he would if you ask him if he believed in God, well yeah, he would say that. Uh, he, he knew him in that sense, but and he knew that that's that was um, what the thing was to do. It was I got a feeling it really wasn't um, the kind of repentance where. Um, we know it's not a godly sorrow, but uh, you know it's probably again probably along the same kind of repentance that Judas had. But for some reason, God says, "See, if somebody humbles himself, even in what he's doing, he could honor that." Well, but God knows the heart, so He ha has to have known that His repentance was of the heart to have refrained from bring, what was it, the curse of Jeroboam's house, I guess, wasn't it? Yeah, it is. Uh, if the, it was going to be brought on Jeroboam instead of... Right, and it wasn't going to be instead on Instead of Ahab. I mean, he right. wouldn't have relented if it wasn't a humble, true repentance, would he? Well, it's... it's there. I Yeah, this is a, this is a special case... Um, because it really ultimately a true repentance is only going to be coming from a believer but there is some there is some true sorrow for what he what he did or what what was done and and God uh, holds it back and yeah uh, ultimately as we look at, at here the, it's we're going to be dealing with faith and repentance and of course, he repented because he knew what was going to happen too. So, yeah, I can I can see what well, yeah, would be a I can see where it could be a legal repentance instead of a almost a almost a tricky one. There. Yeah, that is. Uh, in in 
in the New Testament, it's probably up a little more in the forefront. The Second Corinthians seven says, "I now rejoice that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance, for you were made sorrowful according to the will of God." And there is where it's going to start. I think speaking very sharply there according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. And of course, usually that well, that kind of sorrow is going to be for their, their own selves and what will happen, the consequences. Uh, I think God was merciful in the sense what he probably did for Ahab. He didn't he, he was not obligated to do what he did for him. Of course, God is never obligated to us for anything, but except for the promises that he that he makes uh, for his his own. Um, can I ask about Judas? Um, I looked up here what what it said about Judas's repentance, and all it says is that I can find anyway is then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood that that actually sounds like a lot of repentance that goes on now what's the scripture on that? Um, Matthew 27 3-4 certainly confession it's a confession and he's, he's bringing back the what he was seeking. I'm not saying, I know that Judas was condemned, because he was meant to be condemned, he said that elsewhere, but mm-hmm. what's really wrong with his, when he saw that he was condemned, what does that mean? Who condemned him? That it, it doesn't really say. When he saw that God condemned him? Or, of course. I mean, is that really any different to how, how we sometimes repent? Is there, is, could there be a uh, translation thing? Because my, my translation says uh, it, he saw that Jesus was true. Oh, okay. Is the he capitalized no. or just a little H? No. Okay. I have the capital on, on the H-E. Oh. Yeah. When he had been condemned. Yeah. Uh, which I think, and that's what that would, would and that's, yeah. that's the crucifixion and, and he regret, being delivered to Pilate, I mean. And, and then that the coming. notes after that, it, it, well, it has a, a reference from repent that it says having regretted, having regretted it. And and that that so is a word that's, that's dealing with repentance, but that would be what uh, is in Second Corinthians 7, that would be the kind of uh, repentance that he would have. It was a, a, it's the sorrow of the world. It's, and it's, uh, I guess I'm saying it's just hard just by looking at it or hearing it to know what is actual repentance unto life and what is repentance yeah. because you're regretted. I mean, it's even, even the same with uh, Jacob and Esau. When Esau was sorry, yeah. really sorry, and he liked crying. Well, to anybody observing that, they might think he was just as sincere as, as 
David when he was sorry. Yeah, and it's it's not a it's not a repentance that is dealing with a love for God. It's about self. It's about feeling sorry for you got caught. Look at what is now going to happen. He felt bad. I mean, he's no no doubt that he knows what he's done is wrong, but he has. It's not one, and and that's why this is delineated here. This uh, dealing with an evangelical grace. And this is why the Christian's repentance is the only kind of repentance that is a godly sorrow because it's a gift and it leads to life. So when you put the enjoyment of eternal life, it's actually connected with repentance unto life. Uh, So therefore, isn't it good whenever God, by the Holy Spirit, convicts us of sin and we desire then to confess our sin not be, not necessarily just because we got caught, but we may not have gotten caught by anybody. But the thing is, it is so bearing on our own heart that what we've done, we have affected the holiness of God. Uh, and so that is a gift that God gives us that we're sensitive when we have sinned, regardless of how short of a time it'll be, or maybe a long of a uh, long period uh, usually I think the Holy Spirit convicts us pretty quickly of our sin and we are to confess it uh, immediately uh, Judas sure did that but there again it's it, it would be what the second Corinthians 7 is dealing with where it wasn't it was a regret that he had done that it was the sorrow of the world that produces death I, I, I guess I'm just and it's, it has more to do with me than anybody else, probably. I mean, as far as me asking about this, it's just sometimes I think I have taken it too lightly. Well, I said I was sorry. He has to forgive me type of attitude yeah. to say that out loud, but it's, it's true. Well, I think we all deal with that. And, yeah. And the change that I wish to take place doesn't seem to take place, or at least not very fast. So I'm just like, okay, I'm waiting. <laughs> and that, that goes that ties in with what we had studied earlier, sanctification. <laughs> and and you can see how all of these just kind of build up and they're, they're related to each other. Uh, repentance, by the way, and you said change. Repentance uh, is meta noia. Meta means to change, and noia is dealing with the, the mind, your thinking, to change one's thinking. And to to really take that further, it just doesn't mean to... It means to change your mind. Change your mind about something, but when you change your mind, we're talking about more than just the mind. It's it's talking about a whole life, a whole lifestyle. The way that we think on something is going to be the way that we react to things or the way that we do things in our life. And so when we see that uh, something... Is kind of acceptable to us and we're not really convinced and then God's word comes in and starts showing that hey, here's where you need to change your thinking and your actions. And But but it's all, it's all out of as a grace also. Uh, having, a, having a love for Christ and uh, knowing that it's not just about the consequences. And so that, that's why I think that has to be delineated, and that's, that's why it's good to look at Ahab and look at Judas 
because there there was a repentance involved there. But there's the true, genuine repentance of the believer, and then there's the other ones who are sorry for what they did. Or towards a relationship to God, a relationship, but like you said, a relationship to the world is what they're sorry Right. The, the sorrow uh, of the world. Yeah, and also maybe that's why John makes a difference and says, uh, John the Baptist says, repent and bear fruit in keeping with that repentance. I guess maybe the difference between Judah's repentance and that of Peter's was that Peter, his faith did not fail. He was, he repented of what he did and he... It was brief. Right, and, but he continued in his relationship with Christ, whereas Judas did not uh, bear fruit in keeping with his repentance. He right. just went and uh, committed suicide. Right, and it, and it, it showed, it, it demonstrated where they, they were at. And, and Peter's looked just as bad as what Judas did you know, to deny him. So, yeah, yeah, repentance. Um, and that's why I think this uh, first section is why it's putting forth repentance unto life is an evangelical grace, knowing that it comes from God. It is to be preached. It is to be brought forth as you know, Christians are to uh, give the gospel out. Okay. I got one more question. I agree. Better not be hard. Well, I'm just curious about the use of the term evangelical grace. What what quite does that mean? I mean, I have a, a little bit of a grasp as to what evangelical means, but what, what does it mean in the context of evangelical? Well, evangelical we know means actually good news, right? right? It's a it's a good news grace. It's uh, and in this sense right here, and and even by the title, repentance unto life. It's talking about to have an enjoyment of God, enjoying eternal life. It's connected inseparably with repentance. An evangelical grace is something that this is recognizing the mercy of God, recognizing His grace. This is a good news kind of repentance. And as He grants it to us, um, it's not... And that's why we, we keep distinguishing from this free gift of God that's brought forth versus what the world would have in their kind of repentance. That, that's why it was good to go to those two characters there. They have Judas, um, Cain, you know, throw those guys in, in, all into the mix. And we see that there's a legal repentance or there's this evangelical as they use there. But, it, you know, it's, and... and even though it can be done by anybody, they can repent. But I think they're they're distinguishing there as they use that that term. Yeah, I know sometimes they use maybe just one word to bring forth and go. Wait a minute, do we don't usually hear that today, do we? Wow, an evangelical grace. And you start thinking about maybe a church uh, down the street, church on right? The <laughs> grace evangelical, right? <laughs> okay. Um, when it says to be preached by every minister of the gospel, of course that could be one who has a profession of being as a pastor, or I think it, all Christians are to give the gospel out. Um, why would they say that? It's to be preached by every minister of the gospel. Uh, 
there's an opposition there. There was a, a really gross heresy out of this time. Remember, a lot of times they're putting these out because there are oppositions to what the Reformed faith truly believes, and the antinomians is a group here he is addressing, uh, addressing against because they believed at this time to maintain re repentance really ought not to be preached. I kid you not. Uh, no minister of the gospel was to be preaching that because it would make people feel uncomfortable. Uh, well, that sounds kind of modern, up-to-date, doesn't it? Really, and that's what they were battling even then. Um, we know Christ preached repentance. I mean, that's at the, the heart of, of, of uh, His ministry. Um, repent, right? The kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, go to Mark 1.15. Of course, John the Baptist preached that. You will see it right at the very start of Acts where repentance is mentioned. So it is something that is to be proclaimed. It is a must. There are no options. Mark 1.15. Uh, 14 says, Now after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. So there's repentance and there's belief or faith. And the two uh, always go hand in hand. But that's what he was preaching. So Jesus himself preached that. Why would anybody come along and say, you shouldn't ever preach repentance? There are people today and many uh, will say, those days are over. If you've trusted in Christ, you don't ever have to repent or confess again. Bob George uh, is one who has a ministry of that. He's written many books saying, uh, once you've confessed your sin once, you don't have to do it anymore. Uh, he's against repentance. That's an antinomian. Uh, of course, it, it's an ongoing thing, not only to repent for salvation, but it's a mark of a Christian to continue with that. But they say this is to, to preach for, for, for eternal life. It is to be preached. Luke uh, 24, 47. It's all over the gospel. Forty-seven, and that repentance. Oh, uh, we'll back it up. Forty-six, and he said to them, "Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the the dead the third day." So here's the scripture, the gospel, right? And, and, and the context here is with uh, Emmaus disciples. All right. And uh, one of the last things he says to him, this is written that the Christ would suffer, rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. And, uh, so this was, uh, this was key. This is the Great Commission is uh, what is what's happening here. You had uh, the proof of his resurrection. I think I said the Emmaus disciples. I'm not so sure why I said that. Anyway, mm -hmm. wrong place. But um, anyway, uh, we, we, we talk about Christ having to suffer and die and raise again and then talks about repentance and forgiveness. Um, 
course, it starts in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and other most parts of the earth. But repentance is always to be proclaimed there. And then you take the book of Acts, and you see how the early church, after Christ has ascended, and we see that they are doing the same message that Jesus had done, and that he commanded them right there at the end of uh, Luke. And in Acts 2.38, the filling of the Spirit has happened, and preach, uh, uh, Peter is preaching. 2.38 says, um, somebody has asked, Brethren, what shall we do after they've been convinced that uh, Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead? That was Him. He fulfilled the Scriptures. And Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So repentance there is, uh, is a key term. You go to verse chapter, or chapter 3, verse 19, just a chapter over. Keeping on the theme of repentance, uh, after he has given them the prophets and the Christ would suffer and such, and Christ fulfilled all of, all of the uh, prophecies. Therefore, <laughs> repent and return, so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So, repent is the cry uh, from the time that Christ was speaking about to the early church. You can go to Acts fourteen fifteen. Again, you'll see it. It's a it's a constant thing. Acts fourteen fifteen and saying, "Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you, and preach the gospel to you, that you should turn from these vain things." A turn is what repent means. You're going one way and then to turn back around, and go the other. Uh, that's that's a thought. And now this time he's. Uh, preaching at uh, Lystra. And they were idolaters. These are Gentiles here. And so he's saying the same thing to them. Um, so he says, um, We are also men of the same nature as you. Preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things, these empty things, to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. So he relates to them of the Creator God as he goes to the Gentiles. And he shows there was a creator God. They're, they're idolaters. They believed in multiplicity of gods. But he says, but there is a God who is the creator, and you must turn from those empty things, those empty idols that you have, turn or repent. So the repentance has been proclaimed to the Jews. It's been proclaimed to the Gentiles. Repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. That's found in Acts 20, 21. So would you say that repentance is necessary to preach the gospel? There are no options. It has never changed. It is always a forefront of dealing with preaching the gospel. Um, matter of fact, in Acts 17, uh, Paul's at Athens. And he says, God now commands all men everywhere to repent. So how does this Bob George guy that you were talking about explain all these calls to repentance? It's all grace. We live by grace. And grace, now there, that gives you license to do whatever you want. But he's not saying that, you know, hey, we can sin. Matter of fact, he's, he gets to the point, I think, of really we don't even 
We don't even sin anymore. You know, if you're really taking this grace seriously the way that it is, um, all of that's done. It was done at the cross. And he'll start off with a, on a chalkboard or a great big board and say, B.C. And then, I think, you know, I th- I don't know did he put A.D. or A.C.? But, you know, it's after the cross. And, you know, he puts there and he says, so when Christ died on the cross, then there's no once you've repented once, then that does it forever. It's all good. So then you don't need any more grace either. And what we have just discovered here is this is dealing, it, it looks like he could be right if, if what we're looking at, because we're talking about salvation here on the verses that we're reading, right? Repent. But, uh, of course, you can look in First John chapter 1 where it talks about confessing the sin and he says, oh, well, that's to unbelievers. <laughs> uh, that's how he gets out of that one. Um, but the context there is this is to believers to church. So yeah, um, and of course he goes back even before you know you'll you'll think of some of the scriptures that are used with the the disciples who were along with Jesus and such. And he says, well, that was before the cross, and after the cross everything changed. Well, it it does, but you can see how he can stretch that out. Um, except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Acts 17.30 So anyway, that's the message as far as uh, preaching eternal life, preaching salvation. Um, Let's go to the second section. By it, a sinner out of the sight and sense not only of the danger, but also of the filthiness and odiousness of his sins. You like that? (laughs) As contrary to the holy nature and righteous law of God, and upon the apprehension of his mercy in Christ to such as are penitent, so grieves for and hates his sins as to turn from them all unto God purposing and endeavoring to walk with him in all the ways of his commandments. So here you have uh, true repentance springs from sight and sense, as it says. The sight and sense of sin. I think all men, all men, whether they're believers or unbelievers, can acknowledge, in I think in the generalist sense, that they could be sinners. Couldn't an unbeliever say that they, oh, hey, I sin all the time. I heard uh, a Muslim um, was asked, well, how do you get your sins forgiven? And uh, he was saying, well, you know, I just sin all the time. Matter of fact, I'm on this flight right here, as he said to somebody, because I'm going down to, uh, I think it was El Paso, and I'm going to do some sinning there. Adultery. Yeah. <laughs> And he didn't really have a repentant heart, but because he knew that he couldn't be right before God. He knew he was going to sin, but he did it anyway. He was hoping on that, that Allah would weigh his good works that he's done, and that's really what it is, outweighing your, your bad, your sin, and somehow uh, he will escape that. That's what he was counting on. So... Anybody can recognize that they're sinners, but no man can have a clear sight, a clear 
sense, a feeling sense of sins until the Holy Spirit becomes His teacher and, and the convictor of sin. John 16, 8. Of course, it, it, there's a salvation starting point, but we know as believers that the Holy Spirit is there convicting us on a daily basis. Aren't you glad that He does? And it's uh, 16, should be verse 8. Nandor, do you have that? John 16. 16, 8. Uh, yes. <coughs> um, yeah. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Let me keep on going. Yeah, go ahead there. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and he will see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Yeah. And, and the he there is the Holy Spirit. That's the context. So he says, I'm, I'm going to be leaving but the Holy Spirit is going to be coming and he will convict. And, and of course it starts with, you know, he's going to convict everybody, uh, Jews, Gentiles, yeah. right? The, when we think of the world. Um, he will convict the sinner, um, somebody who's lost. He can convict them concerning their sin and then the righteousness of God, that they need His righteousness, and then judgment. If they don't trust in Christ's righteousness, then they're, as they're convicted with their sin, they will be judged. And uh, so that was just, uh, just in a few short verses that Jesus put forth what the Holy Spirit does in His conviction. And so anyway, a, a Christian will be convinced of his sin or one who is led by Christ uh, to uh, trust in Christ uh, as the Holy Spirit comes and uh, convicts them. The, the law is knowledge of sin, isn't it? People can have an idea of the law. Of course, we know the law doesn't save. Romans 3.20 it talks uh, that uh, in that sense. But the, the, the Spirit is the one who comes in, enlightens the sinner um, to discern purity and spirituality and the whole vast extent of what the divine law is about. And he sees his sin. He sees it exceedingly sinful. And uh, so a sinner, at, at very first, he can see his sin as dangerous you can see the outcome of that there can be judgment on that. But it's not only dangerous, but he can see that it's, I like what they have here, it's, it's odious, it's filthy. And that's when the Holy Spirit has done His work on us. What a gift it is that we can see how evil and wicked it really is. I've heard of, uh, I've talked to guys, and you guys probably have too, saying, well, you know what? Um, uh, yeah, if I go to hell... It's okay because that's where all my friends are. We've heard that many times. And, yeah, I know, I smoke and I drink and I cuss and all that, you know, but, uh, hey, that's just, that's just what I do. And I know, hey, it's probably bad, it's probably wrong. But they, they're not really getting it, are they? They are not really seeing the odiousness, the, um, the stench, the filthiness of it, and, and, and recognizing the holiness of God. So when the Holy Spirit convicts one of sin... That's their sin, their odiousness, and the righteousness or the, the holiness of who God is. 
when when one sees who him for who he is, then um, you know it doesn't matter about the friends or what they're doing there. Do do they are they enlightened of how bad this really is? It's exceedingly sinful. I, I, think, I think that's something we all have some trouble seeing is that our sin does a lot more harm than, than we realize, not just to ourselves, and it does. Any sin that we commit will hurt us, ourselves, spiritually and, and in other ways. But it will also hurt others in ways that I think we, won't, we can't even imagine. And if we could see it the way God sees it, yeah, we probably wouldn't even be able to live if we really saw how dark it really is. And I think God is gracious in keeping us from the very essence of how evil, even the least little, and there's no such thing as the least little sin, we'll see that later as they put that forth, but something that doesn't seem very big. And, and part of the yeah. reason people think their sin isn't very big or isn't going to isn't that consequential is because they don't understand how holy God is. Well, that's it. That's what it's about. Yeah. And that's that's what we'd want to get out of this tonight. Yeah, we know the definition of repentance and we know all, all these scriptures seem really familiar, but that it would take us further into realizing how this affects a holy God. And, as, as Audrey says there too, then it... it it reaches out. It, it it might be somebody in our family. Uh, how about some people in the church? Uh, other people we don't even know how it affects. We have no idea sometimes of how far-reaching that is. Oh yeah. Stump the band. You guys know what that book that is? Valley of Vision. There you go. Yeah, just read some of those, and that really clear that we're not close to Now, it says, um, it's contrary to the holy nature, righteous law of God, and upon the apprehension of his mercy in Christ, that's the ones who are really penitent, they, they apprehend the mercy of God. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful, and there's the word, merciful, and gracious, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. When we see a holy God and we're really His, our hope is because we know He's also merciful. And because of His mercy, in His grace, He forgives us. I mean, that is a loving God that we know that that's, that guilt doesn't have to ever be before us, does it? He doesn't hang it over our heads. That's a tremendous state. I think we can take that for granted, can't we? Our, own, our forgiveness of sin that we have. And, of course, uh, it says, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That covers the three um, words that are used for sin in the Old Testament. Wow. The mercy of God does that.
Now, um, when we see repentance, we see faith. With regard to the order of faith and repentance, I think we can say we don't really have to, we might tend to want to form a conception of it as a moment in time, and it's okay to think that way. Um, you can't really separate them, faith and repentance. They're two different terms, but we, you know, sometimes we might want to try to separate them in the sense and try to, in the point of faith and the point of repentance, and then in time, they they are necessary to accompany with each other. They they must be together. But there's an order of nature there. Not so much time here as which one came first, but the order of nature runs like this. Faith must precede repentance. Hmm. Uh, An evangelical repentance, as they're using the term here. It's a turning from sin to God, right? But there can be no turning to God except through Christ, right? And no coming to Christ but by believing in Him, right? Is that you kind of follow there? Yeah. Like in uh, John six thirty five. Turn there quite frequently. Jesus said to them, "I am the uh, bread of life. He comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst." So there's one who comes to him. And it is one who believes. Of course, we know that also in John 6, the only ones that can come to Him are the ones who are the fathers, right? But they are the ones who believe. And so the one who believes, uh, this, this one who turns to God, He comes through the person of Christ, and He doesn't come to Christ except he, now He's believing in Him. Of course, that comes from the Father. Uh, love, for instance. Um, love to Christ, for instance, is really proceeding from our faith. How's that work? Look at First Timothy one five. One five. But the goal of our instruction, here's our goal, here's where we're trying to get this at, Paul says to Timothy, is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So he says this goal, this this instruction here, it, it's love, but where does it come from? Pure heart, good conscience, a sincere faith. It has to proceed out of faith. So I, I, you know, whether it be love, whether it be repentance, uh, we know that it's, it's this faith uh, which makes it possible. And of course that's dealing with salvation. So that would be kind of the, the order of faith as far as the nature is concerned. You have faith, uh, you, you have repentance, but the two go together. Yeah. I'm not trying to stress it too much, but yeah. The other night, John Gershner was talking about that. He said they technically occur at the same time. Yeah, and that's what I said. As far as time is concerned, 
you cannot separate them. That's what you mean. By but from the order of nature, okay. when you think you you know there there has to be faith there, and, and what what our mind wants to do is try to put it into a time sequence, and you can't really do that because the two go hand in hand. Because but there's an order of nature where there, yeah, you can't do. You can't do anything. It lo- you can't love God. You can't repent. You can't do anything with unless there's faith there, and that's the idea of order of nature. But don't get it confused with time, okay. even though it seems like that's what we're dealing with. Well, to throw a real wrench <laughs> in the subject, what you read in First Timothy, the goal of our instruction, the goal is something out in front of you mm-hmm. that you've not yet achieved. The goal of our instruction is a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. That puts faith out in front of you, too. That's your goal from that scripture. That's not something you've got sometime or other. You see the confusion here? It's not a... Because that's the goal. And the goal is something to be achieved. And and here I have to wonder, are we talking about... Of course, we're talking to... um, Believers, right? So it's talking about a, a trusting I can in, understand in God. The, yeah, the the pure heart and a good conscience. Right. That's something we try. We're trying, working to achieve. But the, the sincere faith, sincere faith, is sincere, something we're trying to achieve also. Being uh, being sincere, you know, and, and uh, making that yeah. a a reality in in, uh, in our in our living, showing it, demonstrating it. Yeah. So, um, what do we have? We're still on that number two there. Did you see where we had? No, it's on number three. On this right here. Okay, there it is. So he grieves for, he hates his sins as to turn from them. He grieves his sin. He's it's not, and it's not just that um, worldly sorrow, right? But it's it's a truly godly sorrow. So there, there's really a false sorrow, isn't there? And then there's a true sorrow, or the, the godly sorrow. Do you think uh, the grieving itself is? Since it talks about the Holy Spirit being grieved, um, do you think that would have to be the Spirit? Because the flesh can't really, you know, it, it can't, uh, it can't hate itself. But the Spirit can fight against the flesh. So, do you think maybe that, that's, yeah. that's the Spirit acting that out more yeah. than more than yourself? And and all of this is. That's it's by the power of the Spirit, yeah. Because He starts with the convicting, and of course we ourselves are going to grieve Him. But if we are filled with God's Spirit, if we're being led by His Spirit, then we will have a true godly grieving, Mm -hmm. uh, a true hating of that sin. I hate that sin. Where'd that come from? In and of ourselves, we can't even work that up, can we? So now I think that points back to that the gift again and the inworking of the Holy Spirit and the sanctification. We're still going to work with that, 
And so we have um, a synergism, but yet it's who initiates all this. But we are to be obedient, as it's, uh, and it says at the end of this um, number two there, in all the ways of His commandments. So when He has the commands, we now have the power of the Holy Spirit who is the one working and bringing this to fruition, but we still are to work that out and then to be obedient to that in our own own working, but it's still His power. So, yeah, whenever there's an actual hating of that sin, really grieving it, um, we... We can't help but thank the Holy Spirit for yeah. showing that to us. Oh, what have I done? Why do I do that? We hate that. Don't, don't we hate our sin? Romans 7. Kind of sounds a lot of the same kind of stuff that we had touched on before. Oh, um, loathing and abhorring ourselves. You even think of the book of Job. Sometimes you'll, you'll see that other passages throughout the Old Testament and the prophets and such. Um, True repentance turns from sin. Okay, that that next phrase, as we were seeing, grieving and hating, as to turn from them all unto God. Uh, And then it says, purposing and endeavoring to walk in them. this is the crowning act here. Uh, the, the grand test of genuine repentance is whenever that um, we have works to go with repentance that, that shows it. It's not just saying I hate it and having this uh, Holy Spirit work on this and, and um, being convicted, but it's desiring to be delivered from this and there's a true works of that in that sense. That uh, Acts, was it 26.20? Paul preached to Jews and Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. Forsaking sin. Uh, and then, of course, watching against all occasions of sin that can come up with us. Yep. Third section, although repentance is not to be rested in as any satisfaction for sin or any cause of the pardon thereof, which is the act of God's free grace. You see, it brings us back to that because if we repent because it'll make God satisfied with us, and you say, wait a minute, isn't that what that is about? No, because He's satisfied in whose work? Christ's work. We don't rest in because of our repentance. Do we? Do we see what what that's designed at to hit, yeah. or any cause? Because you know this is going to cause him to pardon me. Well, that's the wrong motive, isn't it? It's the act of God's free grace in Christ. Yet it is of such necessity to all sinners that none may expect pardon without it. I mean, it is necessary, but at the same time. Uh, it's not something that we do to um, get God to uh, be be pleased with us because we have done this. It always goes back to what 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 Christ had done. And so that that's in that uh, that third one there, isn't it? It's a necessity. Um, 
The reason they would put this here, one of the reasons would be the opposition of Roman Catholicism. Because in their system, they have a satisfaction. They have um, two kinds of sins. Remember? Mortal and venial. Venial and mortal. Uh, Penances, acts of penances. They're essential parts of repentance in the Roman Catholic view. And uh, they are there to satisfy, really, it's the priest who's going to absolve them from their sins. So they, have, they perform, they do something they, to get compensation for, to get back in the good graces of. And that's why this one would have been put there for. But I think whether one's Roman Catholic or Protestant, whether one is, you know, really, really pursuing the Lord or not, we can have a tendency to think, well, if I do things, I want to get back in the good grace of God. It's going to be my acts of repentance that's going to satisfy God. It's it's always the what has happened at the cross. The satisfaction is always done there, but yet we are to do this out of obedience. It's necessary at the same time. So they, they keep covering that. Uh, you can't have pardon without it, but yet what's your motive? What What is in this? We can't rest in uh, our works or anything of that, that nature. The, the Socinians was another group that this would have been aimed at because they denied the very atonement of, of sin. Or for sin, I'm sorry. Uh, when, when Jesus died on the cross for our sins... Um, they deny that. Uh, their repent, the repentance really is the repentance that we have is what is required. That's the only requirement that God has is that we repent. So therefore, uh, the atonement to them is really nothing. Hard to imagine. But we look at First John and, and think of that, and we see that Christ is the one who's fully satisfied the justice of God, and His blood alone cleanses us from all our sin. As a matter of fact, it would probably be good to turn there. We're, we're really uh, near the end of time. How does it get away so quick? So I always uh, heard Dr. James White bring this out in debates which he is, by the way, next month. Another debate. But he always says, if you are a good Roman Catholic all your life, and the day, the night before you die, you commit a mortal sin, you go straight to hell. Because venial sins, sins will send you to purgatory. But mortal sins will send you straight to hell. So how can you really have there is no assurance. There is no peace in Roman Catholicism. They can never have assurance. Never. Just at the very... You could be leading a good Catholic life all your life and have one mortal sin. Right at the end. And, and those mortal sins can be forgiven by the priest if yeah. you do whatever they make right. up at the time. That's why they say suicide sends you straight to hell. <clears throat> That's why they say that. So they do express that. Yeah, because you do have... With, yeah, if you didn't get, get it too fast, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. I always like to hit them up when they come up with that with them. But, okay, well, the other one they come up with is 
if you if you go to a Catholic funeral, oh, he was baptized. He's he's saved. Baptized as a baby. Baptized and did right. their first communion and did their confirmation. Yeah, but then you bring up the, the thing about okay, what about that sinner on the cross that God said today you'll be in heaven with me? He was never baptized. So. What does baptism have to do with it? I mean, they probably don't even know what you're talking about when you talk about <laughs> But they would stay up with what their true theology is. But nobody wants to hear that. So therefore, they can make up what they want as it goes. But their true doctrine would say exactly what you're saying. That's what it's all about. It's to scare them into going to church, giving the money, Going to the confessional, I don't think people go to the confessional like they used to, though. Yeah. Well, the Pope probably does leave the land And he can do that because he's he's the Pope. So if he's speaking ex cathedra, I mean, he can change whatever he wants to. And they have done that as the years have gone by. It's this is right, and then later on, another pope comes in. Oh, this is, and they do away with that. What about all that time? What, like, um, let's say eating meat, you couldn't eat meat on Fridays for a long time. We're not talking during Lent. That was all Fridays, and then all of a sudden, that was off, and it was okay to eat meat on Friday. What about all those people beforehand? <laughs> Yeah, what about uh, on matter of creation, whether the world is created or not? Because now it's the common consensus among Catholics that evolution is mm-hmm. because they're following the world. They they don't they want to they want to be acceptable in, in the world side. And they've always done that. Yeah. Whatever just kind of works with the flow. And, uh-huh. Of course, a lot of the holidays that we have. And I'm not saying they're, they're evil and wrong, because we can use them in the right way. But um, they just kind of blended in yeah. with the pagan societies and just maybe renamed it, but it was going right along. So they can go along with the world and still yet keep... Weren't they the ones though, that told design. Galileo, you're, you're wrong for thinking the world... Uh, what is it? The world revolves around the not sun. Not Galileo. Yeah, the world revolves around the sun and not the sun. And then also, like, the world is flat, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah and then they change their mind, you know, yeah. after they kill tons of people. And yeah. That's interesting, because I've never been to a Catholic church that didn't believe in creation. That's that's the way it is now. And I was long ago that yeah, I was Catholic. Yeah, <laughs> Evolution. Right. Yeah. But... I got I got sort of scoffed at the other day because I heard this from a young Catholic guy who said that's why he likes Catholicism because it's it believes in science. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> and then they brought up yeah the world is isn't what six thousand years old and I said yeah it's more like ten thousand and they were like you don't really believe that do you. I said, yeah, I do. And it is. There's more proof for that than there is for your made-up stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's all all the convenience matter, really. But that, that first John one said, we'll just end on this one here. 
Um, but if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. That is what God is satisfied with. And, and of course, the whole idea of repentance is having our minds, our hearts, everything changed, turning around uh, from certain things that maybe we didn't know, maybe we were ignorant of, or maybe we kind of thought it was that way, or we were just flat out disobedient. It's changing that mind, and it's not as a matter of legal repentance, but it's a matter of, in, in this sense here, the, the gracious, uh, merciful sense, or as what they use, the evangelical grace. <laughs> it truly comes from the heart. Anyway, it's, it's always from the righteousness of Christ. It's always what He did that we're trusting in, yet we are to obey based upon what He did. And then... You know, love him in that way, and not a matter of an outward, uh, outward repentance. So anyway, I like that. It's it's it comes from the fact the blood of Jesus, His Son. That's what cleansed it from the very beginning of our salvation, and it's from that same blood that cleansed us the first time. Continues to cleanse us, doesn't it? Anyway, that's as far as we got tonight. I like that next one, as there is no sin so small, but it deserves damnation. So there is no sin so great that it can bring damnation upon those who truly repent. Isn't that nice to know? And so we'll, we'll start with that next week. Father, thank you for this evening, and thank you for this gift of repentance. Uh, it sometimes can be um, confusing, and at the same time, it it is made clear throughout your scripture that we are always to be repenting, to be confessing. Thank you for that is very gracious and merciful to show us something that is really harmful to us. And it's not that you're trying to take all the fun out of our lives, but it's that you are making it a matter of peace and knowing that we have peace with you always but there's also a, a peace that we have in, in our walk and uh, you never want to destroy or take anything that's good for us everything is always good uh, so thank you for the, the gift of the Holy Spirit and the gift of faith the gift of repentance it uh, certainly comes from you and it continues in every aspect of our lives Help us to be more and more more obedient so that we can show the works of repentance that will give you glory. In your son's name, amen. Hey, we thank you once again for joining us. We pray that this message would serve to edify you. And we say goodbye until next time. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. Until next time.